So thankful that I put my trust and my hope in my Savior. If you guys follow anything on Facebook with me, um, we got a new puppy. And his name's Barney, and he's the cutest dog ever. <laughs> when we first got him, he was about nine weeks old. And we have this little step that's probably that high and goes out to the yard. And he was very hesitant. He was standing there and I said, come on, Barney, let's go potty. And he would just move around on that edge of that step and would not move. And he would yell, oh, and just go and, and cry and cry and cry. And it was literally four inches that he needed to step down. And you know me and analogies, I was thinking about that. I feel like there's times in life where we're standing on that step and we need to move forward and press into the Spirit of God. And sometimes we're afraid of the outcome or afraid of the situation that we're in. And we're afraid to take that next step into the new journey that God has set before us. And I want to challenge us this morning that instead of just trying to take that step, get a running start and just jump into the arms of Jesus. Because his arms are open wide to embrace his people, to embrace his sons and his daughters. And when you put your trust and your hope in the Savior, everything will be fine. It will be. It'll be fine. There may be bumps and bruises on the way, but God will still always be there to lift you up and to guide you through the battles, through the trials. Just take that step. And yes, he ended up getting down. Now he's all over the place, up the stairs, down the stairs. But that's where I want to be with God. No longer do I need to fear, but I know that he is always with me. Amen.
to you for you deserve it all you are the king of glory this morning we love you jesus we love you jesus open our ears to hear open our minds to understand but more importantly lord may we open our hearts to receive the words that you want to speak to us today in your name we pray and everyone said amen turn to one next to you and say i love jesus amen here to make a big announcement uh, something we're excited about we finally after three months have received our documents super excited Kinley's extra pumped um, and we just wanted to clarify a little bit of what this means what the next step is uh, and basically I don't know why I'm holding this document <laughs> but um so we'll need to turn this document into the embassy in Mozambique. They'll need to put their fancy stamp on it. And then after that process, uh, we can apply for our visas. But the, the one hiccup that we're still waiting on is a document specifically in Mozambique that we need that basically says, hey, they're welcome to come. Uh, and because of COVID, the government has shut down again with the South Africa strain. So be, please be praying with us. There's not a ton of details on like what when it's going to open but we're believing that it's going to be soon that we're not going to have to wait long for this document and as soon as we get that as soon as we get this approved by the embassy which shouldn't take more than a week we should be able to head out so we are super excited this big roadblock has finally been overcome and you can start praying for a new document all right love you guys and thanks for your continued prayers Jake and Vanessa are here this morning. Why don't you stand up? Where are you at? There you are. Just give them a, a, a round of support. <laughs> Excited for their life and calling and what God's doing through them and praying for open doors. We want to get them out of, out of town. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb Webb is going to come and uh, quote for us this morning. I think. Nope. So we had a little mix-up of communication there. All right, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. 
Hebrews chapter 10, talking about better things. The first uh, seven chapters of Hebrews had to do with a better uh, savior, better than the prophets, better than um, everything else that had been offered. And then we come into the second section, because we have a better savior, we have a better covenant. And eight to 10, talk about that covenant. Chapter eight talks about keeping the main thing, the main thing. What is the main thing? The main thing is Jesus. Hello? The main thing is Jesus. I'm going to digress just for a moment here because I can't hardly stand it. It's just been boiling up on the inside. And this is not recruiting you to come on Wednesday, but this Wednesday, God showed up in a unique way. Um, I, um, I, I've got to confess here, um, I was ready to go home before it started. Do you ever have those days where you're just, I'm done, tired, I'm wore out, I was, and I thought, God, you're going to have to help here. Uh, not that he has to do anything. I don't mean it that way. Don't want him to strike me dead, but I would appreciate your help. Um, and right at the end, when we're in chapter 5, when John sees the scroll, it starts in chapter uh, 4. There's a door open in heaven. How many are glad we have a door open in heaven? And he saw one. And this still gives me goosebumps. He saw one who sits on the throne. Why doesn't he have a name? Because he's too big to name. He's too holy to be described. He's the one who sits on the throne. Everything that flows out of there flows into the next chapter. And there's a seven-sealed book. And John weeps. John weeps because there's no one to open the book. And one of the elders says, don't weep, John. <laughs> we know something you don't know. There's one. There's one. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy. When the lion of the tribe of Judah shows himself, how do they see him? They see him as a lamb that had been slain in the center of the throne. And at the end of the chapter, they sing to him who sits on the throne. Be glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. I said to him who sits on the throne, be glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. And when we walk through what we're walking through, we have to keep in mind that there is one who sits on the throne. There is a lion of the tribe of uh, Judah and there is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world and it's going to be okay if we keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. Then we talked last week about the superior high priest and the superior covenant. And chapter 10 carries that theme over. The focus is on sacrifice and the value or lack of value on sacrifices. I know that you sacrifice to get here for the 8 o'clock service. Oh, how many of you thought, did they start the early service this week? <laughs> Glad that you're here. And uh, someone said, I, I can't tell you how many times this morning I've heard people say, I'm so tired. <laughs> and I've just said back, if I fall asleep during this message, I need someone to come up here and wake me up. All right, just don't let that happen. There's um, a lot of repeat in this chapter. And the repeat in this chapter is for the point of emphasis. And the emphasis is on the power or lack of power of sacrifice. You made a sacrifice in order to be here this morning, 
But if you made a sacrifice to be here so that you can go to heaven, you wasted your effort. We have to understand the place that sacrifice plays. And even the Old Testament sacrifices and how they impact us and what we should understand about them. So the first 25 verses of chapter 10 give us this truth. There are some sacrifices that are unnecessary. There are some sacrifices that are unnecessary. The first four verses tell us that the Old Testament sacrifices were a shadow of things to come. They were a shadow, not the substance. You say, well, I'm not Jewish. Why should that matter to me? Well, it should matter because you care about the Old Testament and the message of the Old Testament. The Old Testament isn't to just be thrown away. It was intended to teach us in shadow or in symbol of what was to come. And if you want to understand what is to come, then you really need to understand the message of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. What were they communicating? What were they all about? Animal blood was a picture of Jesus. Therefore, it, animal blood, could not cleanse from sin. So what did the sacrifices do? The sacrifices were a reminder of their frailty. Because year after year after year, they offered sacrifice over and over and over again. And nothing changed. Nothing was different. Well, what about us? What relevance does that have to us today? Because I've talked with believers who sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and nothing changes. Your service to God won't change you. Your service to God should be an expression of what has already changed in you. It's not about earning it. And people will try to give and sacrifice, and it often will show up this way. God, if you will do this, then I will do this for the rest of my life. God, if you'll get me out of this bind, I'll start tithing. It doesn't work that way. You don't sacrifice your way into the kingdom. There are a lot of people who give and work, give all that they think that they can give and wonder why there's not any benefit from that. Because some sacrifices are unnecessary and anything you do sacrificially to try to salve your conscience is unnecessary. It's not going to get the job done. Don't let the shadow, are you hearing me this morning? Don't let the shadow become the substance. Oh, I'm telling you what. There are a lot of churches that would be growing today if they didn't let the shadow become the substance. We let the shadows, we let the things that are not significant, that aren't the main thing, drive us. It's amazing to me how many things get in the way of the work of the kingdom. How many churches fought when we started to bring chairs into the auditorium? How many churches have fought over worship and music styles? How many churches have fought over all kinds of things that are not the substance? I talked to a friend of mine who was in a business meeting at a church in another state trying to help them re-navigate their bylaws. And I've said, if you let me read a church's bylaws, I'll tell you what they fought over. They had 40, are you hearing me? 41 committees. 
they're debating who answers to who and who can be in what role. I mean, it was going on. And it had gone on from seven when he finished up that meeting and left. It was 11, after 11 o'clock at night. Imagine. Can, will you allow me to just meddle for a little bit? Imagine what might have happened instead of debating bylaws from 7 till 11. That they got on their face before God and sought them for their city from 7 to 11. What might have happened had they taken time to polish their evangelism skills from 7 to 11? What might have happened if they just stood and read the word of God from 7 to 11? What might have happened? And I know there are things that need to happen here. When I was, Carol, I was remi- we were re- remembering when I first came here and, uh, um, the board meetings, uh, Tom, you'll remember, went from seven till sometimes quarter to 12. Do you know what that says? We're, we're making sacrifices that aren't necessary because we've let the shadow become the substance. What should drive us is how many men and women, boys or girls, are finding Jesus as Lord and Savior. What am I doing for the kingdom that comes out of my love for Jesus? Not what do I do to the kingdom for I can, so that I can earn Jesus' love for me. Are you hearing me this morning? Sacrifices can so uh, distract us because for us it becomes a means that we think we can earn the blessing of God and you don't earn it, you receive it and then you act out of it. The Bible says then in verse 5 that God was not pleased with the Old Testament sacrifices. Well, if he wasn't pleased with them, then why did he have them do them? Because the sacrifices weren't the end goal. They were to teach a lesson. If he were satisfied with them, there'd have been no need of a savior. It didn't change them. Ceremonial sacrifices were never what God wanted from man. What does he want? He wants changed lives. Changed by the power of God. Obedience rather than sacrifice. And so again, getting someone to come to church won't change them. Meeting Jesus will change them. Where did the failure begin? Began in the Garden of Eden when mankind rebelled against the law of God in eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what he tells us in this next section is while those sacrifices were symbolic and a lot of what we do in the church is symbolic and you know that communion doesn't change you. It's a act of demonstrating you have been changed. Water baptism doesn't change you. It's a symbolic act. And the reality is you can do those things and not be any different until you partake of that one sacrifice that was once and for all. Why was Jesus sacrificed once and for all? Because it doesn't remind you of your failure. It doesn't remind you of your sin. It takes your sin and moves it from you as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you again. It's once and for all. It's not what we do. It's what he has done that matters. Jesus did it once and for all. It rests on him. So where sins are forgiven, watch what he tells us, where sins are forgiven, there's no longer need for sacrifice for those sins. Why did they repeat them again and again in the Old Testament? Because they were never cleansed. But with Jesus, when he cleanses you, 
it's once and for all. So let me give you a little secret to your mental and spiritual health. If Jesus forgave you, how many of you know that Jesus has forgiven you? Let me see your hands. Then you are working with the devil when you bring your past back up and feel guilty about it. Sure, all of us have done things that we shouldn't have done. Hello? All of us have. I'll never forget the conversation I had with my mother, and I've shared some things about my growing up years, that it wasn't uncommon when she had been drinking for her to call me late at night and tell me what a bad mother she was. And finally, I said to her, you were. And we can't change that. But Jesus can erase it. Come on, help me now. Jesus can erase it. And from now on, since we are in agreement that you did some horrible things, let's be in agreement that we're only talking about from here forward because there's a bright future ahead of us. When he forgives, it's gone. When you bring it up, you're mocking his forgiveness. That doesn't mean you shouldn't learn from it. doesn't mean you shouldn't change. All those things should happen. But he cleanses and changes us. And where sins are forgiven, you don't need him to forgive you again. You just need to remember the price that he paid. So let's jump to verse 19. So when we understand that, okay, we understand that some sacrifices are unnecessary. The sacrifices that you think you need to do in order to earn the favor of God are unnecessary. What should we do? Well, beginning in verse 19, it gives us some direction. We have confidence. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. One of the things I'd like to give to every believer right now this morning, to you right now, is confidence to come into the throne room of God. Some of you are hesitant. Some of you are afraid. Well, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. Yes, thank God you figured that out. You're not worthy. He is, and he gives you authority to walk with confidence into the throne room. So then lift your hands with confidence. Sing with confidence. Glorify him with confidence. Well, you don't know what I was. I know that, but I know what he is. And he gives you confidence as much as anyone else to come into his presence. That's what you should get out of his sacrifice. Confidence. And then verse 22 to draw near with a sincere heart. If you really believe that his sacrifice matters, that he's taken care of all of that, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance of faith. Now, I'm, um, I'm, I'm not, I am not looking to create some kind of manifestation in our lives. I'm not looking for a reaction from the body that will prove Jesus is here. But I am looking for evidence that you're responding to the Jesus who is present. To draw near every time we gather. There should be something in us that says... I got closer to Jesus today. <laughs> I got closer to Jesus today. I remember how tired I was on Daylight Saving Time Sunday. 
and Jesus resurrected my dead spirit. <laughs> On whatever day it would be, with full assurance, let us draw near. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to mess with you a little bit. I, um, you could ask any worship leader. And worship is so much easier to lead when people decide at the beginning they want to draw near. But often, we have to be warmed up. We have to be coaxed. We have to be led. We ought to come in with full assurance. I don't care what happens. I'm getting near to Jesus today. I'm getting near to Jesus today. I was, uh, had a chance uh, to speak to a group of credential holders this past week and, and I, there was something going on that I didn't know about and the first five minutes there was hostility, it felt like hostility in the room, a resistance and if you've ever spoken in front of a group after a period of time you can read what's happening in the room, you can feel it even if you don't understand it and it took a while to get them through that and then I found out later why and there was some miscommunication but I, it's, not, it's like that some Sundays. <laughs> oh, you're just looking at me now, so. Sometimes, not this morning. Sometimes it feels like this. What tricks you got today, Pastor? What story have you got that'll move me? Do you have a puppy story? <laughs> if you have a cat story, I'm leaving. <laughs> What's going to move, what, what tricks you got to move me today? Now, I know no one here ever feels that way. But what would happen if every Sunday we came in and said with full assurance, I'm going to draw near to Jesus today with full assurance. You know what will happen? He'll change your life. And those on the outside will want what's happening on the inside. And when they see the people of God responding to the Spirit of God, he'll begin changing them as well as they find him as their sustenance. So while you don't have to sacrifice, you do need to have confidence. You do need to draw near. And then verse 23, you need to hold unswervingly to hope. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We are people of hope. We are people of joy. We're people of peace. We're people with a promise. We're people with a future. Where is everybody this morning? We have the blessing of God on our lives. We have something to look forward to. Is there anybody in the house? Hold unswervingly to that. I know this world is a mess. And I know the United States is facing some serious challenges. <laughs> and I don't want to digress too far, but I'm just telling you, payday is going to come. You can't give and give and give without there being a payday. Some, there's payday is going to come, I'm just telling you. So what should you do? We should all buy a cave. <laughs> Begin to store water in the cave. It's better if you have a cave near a spring. Begin to store red winter wheat and some sugar. Get a mill to grind your wheat. Just get ready. Oh, no. No. I'm going to hold unswervingly to hope. Because I serve a God that, that counts every hair of my head that falls to the ground. 
I serve a God that feeds the sparrows and, clo and uh, clothes the lilies, and he's going to take care of me, and however bleak and dark this world gets, I'm going to hold unswervingly to hope. You can tell me that that's unnecessary. You can tell me that I'm in denial. You can tell me that I have mental illness, and I'm going to tell you, then stay in your sad, sick little world and leave me alone in mine where I'm going to enjoy the hope that Jesus gives. I'm going to hold unswervingly to hope. I'm going to hold on to that. That's the sacrifice you need to make to not be sucked into this world and its despair and depression, but hold unswervingly to hope. Now, 24, this gets even better. This is one of my favorite verses. I have a favorite verse every time I preach. <laughs> and let us consider how we may spur. <laughs> what? I love this. One another on toward love and good works. Do you know the word spur? Do you know what that means? Have, have any of you ever had seen a spur? I mean, like a cowboy spur. I remember when I was growing up, we had horses. And I remember the first auction that I went to was at the Walker Sale Barn. I must have been 12 years old. And we had Shetland ponies, and they needed spurs that were sharp. And I'm sitting there in the bleachers, and it was the craziest thing. I had a little bit of money, and they're auctioning off a pair of spurs. This tack is being auctioned off before they auction off the horses. And there's a pair of spurs, and I bid like $3, and the auctioneer saw this kid bidding on spurs. And as soon as I raised my hand, he said, sold, and I got those spurs. I was so excited. I went home and put those on my boots and I got on that Shetland pony and said, it's payday today, lightning. <laughs> After a while, I learned how to use those. And I'm telling you what, them do make a difference. <laughs> That's really what this word means. The word spur here doesn't mean to comfort one another to love and good works. That means to provoke one another. It means to provoke one another to love and good works. So the whole idea being, what do we have a responsibility? I have a responsibility, and you have a responsibility, for us to kind of provoke one another a little bit in the love of Jesus. To kindly spur on. To motivate us to move forward. It ought to be the nature of the people of God. Not mean, not hateful, not ugly about it, but encouraging one another on. You see, when you see, listen, when you see someone that hasn't been in church for a while, pre-COVID or post-COVID, right now, who knows? Don't ask me where they are. If you've noticed they're not here, you reach out to them. Well, they might get upset. Well, then you're honoring Hebrews 10. You're going to provoke them to love and good works. How many are hearing what I'm saying this morning? There ought to be something about that that holds us accountable. And I'm telling you, when I was in um, high school and my whole family fell apart, and I was the only one in the house that was still going to church, there were a lot of times there's only one reason I went back to church, and that's because the grief the group would give me if I hadn't shown up that Sunday. There's something about that relationship to provoke one another. Well, I thought someone would like that. Guess not. <laughs> and in that context, that's why it says in verse 25, and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But here's where the comfort comes. But encouraging or exhorting one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's not 
okay to not gather with believers. It's not okay. You say, well, what about COVID? And if those of you that are watching online, you're gathering with us in a digital format that right now culture and government and, and, and um, uh, public health is all demanding. I get that. But this isn't our model. Our model isn't tune in and watch. And we're going to keep moving forward because the closer, I want to be careful here. Those of you online, this is not directed at you because you're here with us. You're watching online and thank you for being with us. But there are people who on Sunday morning will visit five or six churches. They're not connected with anybody. They've totally disconnected and they're adrift. And I'm, I'm, not, trying to, I'm not trying to be a pessimist here because I'm holding on to hope. But I believe that Jesus is coming soon. And this scripture says that we're to gather together more as we see the day approaching. Why does it surprise you if secular culture would create restrictions that keep us from gathering together? Now, obviously... It's got to be okay for us to do what, what we're doing. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. Is this making any sense to you? I'm trying to walk carefully. But to say to you, Scripture doesn't say gather together when it's convenient, but gather together and more so as you see the day approaching. So how can I do that? Well, I think you get all your family up. When you can't be here, you get all your family up. And you attend the online service just like you would attend the live service. You're not in your bathroom in slippers, sipping hot chocolate. You're engaging in the worship experience. How, is anybody hearing me this morning? This isn't because I want to raise numbers. It's because I want you to make it as the end time gets worse and worse. Hebrews 10 is telling us the closer we get to the day of the Lord, the more we need to gather together to provoke one another and encourage one another because left to yourself, you'll not make it. I had a, um, a, a, a lady from our church in my office not that long ago that had lived in sobriety and doing well and loving Jesus. But when pandemic hit and we couldn't meet together and Carol reminded me on our way in, this was the last Sunday that we actually met together before we had to shut down entirely. And she wasn't equipped to handle not gathering and there was no support system that reached out to her. And at that time, how do you even know? So I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying she will tell you that her slide back into her addictions was because she didn't find a way to assemble together. Zoom is assembling together. There are a lot of ways to do that. Don't misunderstand me. But you can't stay out there by yourself, disconnected, uninvolved, unengaged, and make it. Because the pressure is going to increase. Hello? So much so as you see the day approaching, even more so. 
persevere in faith. Some sacrifices are unnecessary, and that's because some sacrifices are ineffective. Beginning in verse 26, some sacrifices don't do anything anyway. Look at what verse 26 says. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to revenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's heavy duty. You know what I think when I read that? This isn't playtime. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Why are Jake and Vanessa working so hard to get out of the country? Because this is a big deal. Heaven's real, hell's real, judgment's real, and blessing is real. And if you believe that, you're going to do something about that. I just, I just don't think that's very attractive to lost people. It'll be less attractive when hell opens up and swallows them. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying. I just read it to you. It's right here. Fearful thing. We're not afraid of that anymore because we've made, we've, we've made dad or we've made God into a grandpa. I saw a T-shirt the other day. I think I'm going to buy it. It says on there. I'm a grandpa. You have no right to tell me what to do. You're not my granddaughter. <laughs> That's not who he is. It'd be good for us to see the fire of God once in a while. Heard a whole old story years ago about a man that was praying at the altar for someone in the community that was the Notable sinner. Said, God, save old Joe. Save old Joe. God, hold Joe on a broken stick over the flames of hell till he smells the sulfur and is brought back to you. Someone heard this saint praying that way and they began to pray a little louder. Dear God, I'm so concerned about Joe and others like him. Would you dangle me over hell on a broken stick till I feel the flames and smell the smoke and my heart breaks over people that are lost and on their way to judgment? Amen. Hello? It's real. It's a real thing. But it says something that's kind of scary that I, that I want to try to clarify. It says if we deliberately keep on sinning, and that's... That's kind of an explanation of the text. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. That is terrifying. Everyone in this room has sinned deliberately. You've sinned on purpose. Come on. Not not me. That's that's your next one right there. That was (laughs) in a long, long list. And you've done it. A couple times, maybe five or six. How many of you have done things wrong on purpose and found it repeated 
and, and couldn't break that cycle. How many know what I'm talking about? It's what Romans 7 is all about. Well, it sounds like this is saying that if you repeatedly sin on purpose, that there's no sacrifice and you're going straight to hell. Well, we're all doomed and the entire human race is doomed. If you don't understand what this really means, here's what he's trying to say to us. If you deliberately keep on sinning, after you receive the knowledge of the truth, there is no other sacrifice for sin. There is no other way to heaven. You're going to have to come back to that or you will come under judgment. You can't keep walking there and it be okay. You have to come back to what you've rejected. That is the only sacrifice. There's not another way. You can't earn your way in. You can't pay your way in. What's really interesting when you read in Numbers, do you know that Numbers tells us that God only offered sacrifice for unintentional sin? Only unintentional sin. Now think about why that would be. Now be honest with me. Will you this morning, how many will be honest just for a second? Three. Wow, this is great. We must be on the east side. How many, how many will be honest with me for a second? Come on, help me here. All right. If, <laughs> if there were sacrifices for intentional sin, how many of you would buy that pass card? One calf, I can kill my neighbor. Now, you might not kill them. But one calf, and I can steal from the store. Do you see how dysfunctional that would be? If there were sacrifices for intentional sin? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'm going to commit adultery. It's only two calves. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God didn't allow a sacrifice for intentional sin, or you'd be spending all your money on doing things that were wrong, and you'd get out of that. The scripture that says sin and offering you did not desire is from Psalm 51. Do you know when Psalm 51 was written? It was after David's sin with Bathsheba. And what David did was intentional. He's on the rooftop watching a woman take a bath on the rooftop. He should have had, there were abutments and, and things that should have been done. And David didn't apparently do that. And he's watching and he wants her lustfully and puts her husband in the place that he's murdered in battle. Because after an affair with her, she got pregnant and then he brings her into his harem. It was after he repented and after the child died that she was carrying that he wrote, if there was a sacrifice, God, that would have pleased you for that, I'd have given it. I'd have paid whatever it cost. I'd pay whatever it cost. But sin offering you didn't desire. Listen to David though. But a broken and contrite heart, you will not despise. You will not despise. What is David telling us in Psalm 51? You can't buy your way out of sin, 
But in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, it's repeated for us that there is only one way to get forgiveness, and it's not by the sacrifices. It's a broken and contrite heart. And God was saying, if you didn't know it was wrong, you're still going to pay a sacrifice to remind you that it was wrong. But if you do it on purpose, there's no other way to get back in. There's no sacrifice you can go to. You have to come with a broken and a contrite heart. And God will always respond to that. He will always respond to that. The word that talks about uh, Numbers 15, 30, uh, 30 and 31, anyone who sins defiantly, is the opposite of ignorantly. And it means a fist-shaking rebellion against God. No provision was ever made for that except this provision. A broken and contrite heart. If we deliberately keep on sinning, willfully, voluntarily, what this really means is someone who says, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what's right or wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. There's no sacrifice for that. There's no way back from that. There's no other sacrifice for that. The only way you can come back is quit shaking your fist, experience some remorse, and be sorry because he will always receive a broken and contrite heart. Is that making sense to you at all? It shouldn't scare us. It's just reminding us. You can't cut your own path. The only way the sacrifice works is if your heart is where it should be. In 28 to 31, the Lord will judge his people. Judgment is real and it's to be feared. If they rejected, think about this, if they were judged for rejecting Moses' law, how much more will this world be judged for rejecting Jesus' provision? It's been said that God doesn't send anyone to hell. That is partially true, but he wrote the rules. And made the provision. And if you don't accept the provision, there's no other way in. There's no other way in. No sacrifice is effective here. Not only is it unnecessary, it's ineffective when you're trying to atone for your own sin by sacrifice. But then, verses 32 to 39, put sacrifice in its rightful place. Some sacrifices are experiential. You do need to sacrifice. You do need to experience what that is. It identifies you with the kingdom. If you understand that it is not effective and it's not necessary, but it is experiential in developing and training you. Verse 32, remember those earlier days when you had received the, um, received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Remember those days. And he's calling out to the Jews, remember what it cost you to get here. I had a discussion recently with a young man. We're talking about issues of faith. And I said, you look at me today and see where I am today, but you have no idea what it cost me to get here. You have no idea what it cost me to get here. The scars, the pain, the suffering, 
And many of you have similar stories. You know the price you've paid in the past to get where you are today. And some of the sacrifices you've made should be remembered. I remember how ministry started. And I remember how much we sacrificed and how much was given up to do the work of the ministry. It wasn't a vocation. It was a calling. And my relationship with Jesus, it had been so much easier to walk the same road with my family and my friends who ended up with a lot of money and others in prison and suffering the consequence of their behavior. It would have been so much easier to go that way. But I sacrificed. And Hebrews is saying, remember what it cost you to get here. Do you want to give all that up? You know, that's the problem when we make it too easy for people to come to faith in Christ. They don't have to sacrifice anything. We, we, we need to make sure that our children understand that there's a sacrifice to following Jesus. Everybody's not going to like you. You can't be like everybody else. You can't do everything your friends in school do. I remember there was a particular standard of behavior that we weren't to engage in. The church I grew up in, what it was doesn't matter. But some friends gathered around me and put in a great deal of pressure on me to participate. Well, come, come do this with us. Come, come do this with us. I said, I can't. No, I can't. I can't. And one of my unsaved friends walked up and said, get off his back. Leave him alone. He's made a decision. Left me on the outside looking in. How many of you know what it's like to be on the outside looking in? Remember that. That was, a, that was a, an experiential sacrifice that will help you stay on the right path. I'm not giving up everything that I've invested for the kingdom's sake to get where I am today. So verse 35 tells us, once you understand that, don't surrender that. It's produced patience in your life. It has shaped you and it's formed you. Don't give that up, but keep your confidence. We come back to that in verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And there have been times that I've been in a spot where it's like, I just don't know if I can keep on. I don't know if I can hold this ground anymore. I remember a particular day that I've shared numerous times as a pastor of the first church being hammered about some things that I stood for and had 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 my pastor I called my pastor and said look I don't want to talk about this just tell me is it still true is what we believe still true and he began to weep and he said yes it's still true I'm going to hold on to my confidence the world can go whatever way it wants but I'm going to hold on to my confidence that I have in him I'm not giving that up I'm not surrendering that freedom and joy boldly proclaiming my faith and to do that verse 36 and 37 you need to walk in the will of God keep your confidence remember past battles keep your confidence it produced something in you I've drawn lines for my family as a teenager I stood some ground yeah. What you're, I'm a product both of nurture and nature as you are. But I've paid some prices I don't want to have to pay again. And it's cost me some things I don't want to have to pay again. But out of that, I had confidence that he'll see me through. My sister was taken by a pimp to be pimped out. I'm 19 years old. 
I'm not going to let that happen. I tried to get a gun. I was going to go in like wide Earp and get her out of there. <laughs> Nobody would give me a gun. Thank God. <laughs> or I would be a story today. But I felt like God gave me a path. And over the phone, I confronted the pimp and said, I'm coming for you if my sister doesn't come home tomorrow morning. Told him what I knew, the evidence I had against him. I'm 20 years old, maybe I was 20 years old, and I'm coming for you. That's the wonderful thing about telephones. <laughs> you can be 10 foot tall and bulletproof. The next morning, they dropped her off, kicked her out of the Cadillac in front of our house because it wasn't worth the hassle. I'm telling you, I learned that if you walk in a battle of righteousness, God won't leave you out there on your own. It's given me some confidence to face some other battles. Are you hearing me this morning? Don't cast away your confidence. Remember where you've been. Remember what you paid and hold fast to that. And then walk in the will of God. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised for. Are you ready for this? In just a little while, hallelujah, somebody better shout here in a minute or I'm going to shout all afternoon. In just a little while, I said in just a little while. He who is coming will come and will not delay. Don't forget, he's coming back. He's coming back. Keep that in mind. He's coming back. And then, verse 38, live by faith. But my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. There's no place to shrink back. No place. No place to shrink back. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. Some years ago, and, and you may not, I don't, I don't expect you to agree with me on this at all. Every family, I want everybody to hear me clearly right now. Every family needs to make decisions for their family that they believe are right for their family. Okay? But you need to give me freedom to make decisions for my family that you may not agree with. All right? Is that clear? We good with that? So this story had to do with my son playing Little League. And we, at that time, um, we made some... Um, changed that when I was coaching, but we made a decision at the start that we weren't going to let Little League interfere with gathering together. And I talked to the coach because he assured me that there would not be a conflict, but then there was a rain day and there had to be a makeup game. And if you didn't show up for that makeup game, you sat on the bench the next game. And I said, look, you told me that my son wouldn't have to pay that price and he won't be here for that game. And he said, hey, it's fine. Now watch this. He said, I used to be who you are. 
Do you know that conversation would never have happened if I hadn't said, I'm not going where you're telling me I have to go. He got saved at a Chuck Smith gathering on the beach back in the Calvary Chapel heydays on the, the uh, hippies were finding Jesus. And he said, I walked the streets. I knocked on doors. I told everyone that I met about how Jesus had changed me. And he said, it's not worth it. And I'm not talking to you about it. I understand it. And then he walked away from me. God takes no pleasure in those who draw back. But how many are willing to say with me this morning, I'm not of that crowd. I'm not of that crowd. I'm not shrinking back. I'm pressing forward. Sacrifices from my life will be to honor God. And I will not draw back and do less today than I did in the beginning. Less today than I did yesterday. I'm going to do more for the kingdom. Not because I have to. But because I owe him my life. And he's changed me. And I want his life flowing out of me. God, help me do more today than I've ever done to honor your name. Stand with me. And let's magnify Jesus together. Your sacrifice is for your growth. His sacrifice was for your salvation. So we bring the sacrifice of praise into the heart. Sing it again and we all and 
felt prompted in my spirit. wasn't planning to do this. But I believe there's someone here, main auditorium online, someone, I'm throwing you a lifeline. You have a situation you're facing and, and you're having this debate in your mind whether it's worth continuing on. And you've been entertaining the idea of drawing back. The sacrifice is too much. I, I, I'm, ju I'm just pulling back. God takes no pleasure in that. And it'll cost you dearly. So I just want to pray for you. And I want this to be a moment that you decide that I'm not turning back. So with no one looking around, if the devil has been pounding you and you're, you've been wondering whether it's worth it, maybe I should just go back to the way it used to be. It seemed easier then. With no one looking around, that's you. You know that God is talking to you this morning. There's a chance for you. Would you just slip up your hand? I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Someone else. God's in the room right now. Thank you. God's in the room right now. Thank you. Anyone else? God's in the house right now. Anyone else? Quickly, hold up your hand. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. With no one looking around, I'm saying to you, it isn't worth it. When you move back, the cost is greater than the cost of moving forward. And I'm going to pray for you right now. Dear Lord Jesus, you see the hands of those that said, I'm in a crossroad. I'm at a point here where I'm not sure what to do. And I'm being tempted to go back into what, what you've brought me out of. God, I pray that there would be a supernatural anointing of confidence that would settle on their spirits right now. God, an assurance that you are with them, that the path forward is directed by you, and the way behind them is a path of destruction. God, let none of these individuals turn back and suffer the consequence that Lot's wife experienced by looking back. Help us keep moving forward. I just pray, God, for healing right now, for anointing, for your joy to flood into their being. God, I'm asking for a strengthening of their commitment, a strengthening of their will. I ask that you would silence the voice of the enemy that is lying to them right now and telling them that the way back is the way they should go. God, we shut that door, we burn that bridge, and we make a commitment this morning that we will walk forward and honor you walking in confidence in Jesus' name. And I declare it to be so in the name of Jesus. And everyone in agreement said, amen, amen, amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hand this morning. Amen, amen, amen. We're going to move forward. We're not going back. Hello? We're going to move forward. We're not going back. You can be seated.